Greetings, Ringer MLB show listeners. This is Jake Mintz, one of the two hosts of Baseball Barbecue, a baseball podcast here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Our podcast that you're about to listen to is in the Ringer MLB show feed for your listening pleasure. We hope you enjoy it. While you're at it, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Jake here. If my normally dulcet tones don't sound as crisp as you might be used to here on Baseball Barbecue, that is because I had some technical electronic difficulties. And you people say we're too new school. I can't even figure out this recording equipment. We apologize for that. We promise that the crispness will return in due time on our next episode. Welcome to Baseball Barbecue, the only podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network that has been stealing tacos for the last couple weeks already. Anyway, I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, free tacos. I I was not waiting for the green light from Mookie Betts. I have been going uh, to Taco Bell regularly. No free ads. Uh, Uh, Under the mask of darkness, (laughs) breaking into Taco Bells across America, literally stealing their tacos. I have exchanged uh, U.S. currency uh, for some Crunchwrap Supremes. But no, Jake Mintz, we have to talk about the actual baseball, not just the stolen base by Mookie Betts, which I know most people, that was why everyone was tuning in. Like, all right, am I going to get a free taco or not? No, there was some great baseball played. And it is time for us to talk about the World Series. So the World Series is underway in full swing as we record today, Thursday afternoon. Uh, It is one to one. It is not a draw. The points have been split, I believe, how they say in English soccer. The Rays took game two last night, the Dodgers game one on Tuesday night. Let's start Jordan Schusterman with last night's game two, uh, which Tampa Bay emerged victorious six to four. Um, Where do you want to begin with uh, game dose? I mean, uh, since we're going to work backwards here, I mean, this is the kind of game that the Rays were clearly much more equipped to come out uh, successful in. Than, than the Dodgers, which is to say, what kind of game am I talking about? A game where there are many trips to the mound uh, made by each manager. And in this case, this is something the Rays are very used to, and the Dodgers have been seemingly trying to get used to over the course of this month, and it has not gone particularly well, particularly when they have been exposing their two uh, young rookies to these uh, weird mishmash of plans, uh, Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May. So we saw Tony Gonsolin get the start. I know he was on short rest because he pitched on Sunday in that game seven against Atlanta. But from the jump, even though we knew and and they were very clear coming into this game, we're going to use five or six pitchers tonight. They end up using seven. The story of this game was that even though it was close and even though we had some big moments, we never really got into a flow of it because there were so many pitching changes. There were so many matchups and pinch hittings and pinch and, and this and that, which sure, t- some, for some strategy, that's that's interesting and it led to some good moments. But like, it was hard to really feel this game building towards anything. And the most that was, was when Blake, at the end of Blake Snell's outing, he had the no-hitter, then he gives up the homer to Chris Taylor. And then it's like, okay, here come the Dodgers. But then again, like the momentum of the game and the drama was was just kept kind of 
being suppressed by all of the changes. It kind of felt like when you watch a really good soccer game mm-hmm. and then like in the 83rd minute, like one of the managers brings on like a defensive player for a striker. And then like someone goes down with a fake injury for two minutes and it's just like completely kills the flow. And like from an entertainment perspective last night, there were pockets, there were moments where it was good, but yeah, like, man, I, I, I want to be positive. I want to kind of shine a good light on, you know, good baseball. And there are moments of that. Sure. But like just the general carousel of relievers just makes, it makes the proceedings hard to lock into um, as a fan when, you know, you watch two batters and then someone goes out to the mound and then you watch four batters and then someone goes out to the mound. And by the time you feel like you have a, a, a feel for the pitcher and the matchup and how they look, they're out of the game. Um, and then from a strategy perspective, like this bullshit works for Tampa, right? We know that they've been doing it for years now. The Dodgers don't have the same familiarity with it. And like we saw this with the Yankees having buy-in from your players and had the players having experience pitching in these types of circumstances is really important to the success of how it pans out. Right. And, you know, from time to time, it can work. Even if these guys don't have experience, if you look at game seven of, you know, the NLCS, it worked for the Dodgers, but as a general rule, like, especially with Gonsolin and may two guys who have kind of been um, developed and, uh, you know, nurtured as starting pitchers to be thrown into these relief roles is just kind of weird. Yeah. And they just don't seem willing to commit to like letting one of these dudes just start the game. Like, and, and I know it's scary to have you, you know, a a rookie starting in, you know, game two of the world series. Like I, I get that, but like they're extremely talented. They have succeeded in the past. Um, and, and even on short rest, it's just weird. And and it just wears on these guys. I mean, May has just looked increasingly worse every outing. And that can't be a coincidence. Like, he just keeps coming in in different spots. And it's it, at some point, he's going to become unusable. And that's not good because he's one of their most important pitchers and obviously most talented. Well, it's, you know, if you're, if you're Gonsolin or you're May, it's like, okay, if you don't trust me to start, why? Right? And then that plants seeds of doubt in your head. And then that, you know, the mental side of the game makes a difference on the field. It just straight up does. And like, I'm not saying that these two have been slightly below their abilities just because they're getting yanked around, but it's certainly no doubt plays a role. So that happens last night. Um, I want to talk also, Jordan, about Blake Snell. Mm -hmm. Blake Snell, four innings last night, looked like the greatest pitcher on planet Earth. He was incredible. He was locked in. The stuff was electric. He was striking everybody out. And then what do you know? Fifth inning rolls around. Can't even get out of the fifth. Yeah. And this has, of course, been a theme. uh, And it's been especially frustrating. By the way, you look at that fifth inning. He gets the first two outs. He gets Bellinger and he gets Pollock. And it's like, okay, now you just got to get Kike. He walks him. And then the Taylor homer. And you know, Smoltz goes on and says, oh, two out walks, you know, but he's right. Like, and for a guy like Snell, it's so infuriating. We saw him in this game. We're like, oh my God, Blake Snell's finally going to get to the sixth inning or maybe even the seventh, right? And we saw in game one, they were clearly willing to let Glasnow go way longer than we have seen them at any other point during the season, let alone the last two years. And so we thought, okay, here we go. Blake Snell's finally showing up. He's going to actually go and, and, pitch a chunk of this game and then it just unraveled again it's just so frustrating watching him because again he just has some of the best stuff in the world and while you can understand pitchers with lesser stuff when they get to 2 being a little bit afraid to throw a strike because it's like well my stuff isn't that good i know i'm 2 but like i'm just gonna hopefully get something out of the zone 
Snell, it's like, dude, your shit is unbelievable. Like, throw it. Please throw more competitive pitches, and you're going to be even better than than what he still is, which is still good, incredibly, even in the way that he pitches. Your shit is unbelievable, and even if you induce induce weak contact, like you have an incredible defense behind you, right? The yep. Rays are here because of the defense yep. that they played up to this Absolutely. point in October. Putting the ball in play in this era is, you know, not as good as getting a strikeout at or really ever in any era, duh. But like, if you're going to put the ball in play and do sweet contact, like you want to have the raised defense behind mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. it is frustrating to watch him. I think it's an important distinction to understand that like at his current self, Blake Snell to me is not an ace. I don't want to get into the discussion of what an ace is and what an ace isn't. But to me, like he's not that right now because he's not getting you into the sixth inning. He's not even getting you past the fifth inning, right? right. And like right. now, that being said, he is the perfect pitcher for this Tampa team. Because like, if he's going to go in and give you four and two thirds of no runs or two runs and a lot of strikeouts and you're Tampa and you've got this magnificent bullpen, you take that every time. So like, I'm just curious to what extent the way that Snell pitches like overly carefully is a product of him knowing that the bullpen's there. Right. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if, if you're, if Blake Snell was on like the Phillies and he knew that there was this garbage bullpen behind him, and, you know, like if you watch how like Aaron Nola had to pitch at times this year where it's like you have to go at guys, you have to keep your pitch count down because the whoever scrubs going to come in in the seventh is going to blow this game. Right. Yeah. And so Snell knows that he can kind of be a little bit pickier with how he hits his spots because he's got the best relievers in the world coming in behind him. Mm-hmm. And again, though, it's it's mostly frustrating because we've seen it. He won a Cy Young like. When right, he's on, right. he is one of the 10 best pitchers in the world easily. Like, and there's there's really not a lot of guys, certainly left-handed pitchers that have anything close to what Snell has. So right. still very talented and still obviously a big reason they won this game. I mean, he completely shut them down for those first four innings. Like he he did that. Yeah. And that's not something that a lot of people can do against the Dodgers. Uh, so uh, was this a good, good loss? Good loss for the Dodgers or bad well, loss? We've talked a lot about uh, uh, g- good losses and bad losses and how those are actually the key to postseason success. The Rays have have perfected this, and maybe as we talk a little about game one, whether that was a good loss for Tampa. Was this a good loss for the Dodgers? Man, that's tough. I mean, they hit three homers again. They had their moments. The pitchers that they expected to be good, and I know May and Gonsolin were disappointing. I know Joe Kelly was Joe Kelly, but like, you know, Victor Gonzalez was still solid. Alex Wood was still solid. They they stayed away from Bruce Dar and Trinan and Jansen. So I would say that this is a, a decent loss, a decent loss for the Dodgers. I think this was an average win, an average loss. I think these were just regular wins and losses in this one in game two because Tampa had to use some of their horses out of the out of the pen. In fact, all three, even yeah. though Castillo literally only faced one batter, but Fairbanks looked shaky. Anderson looked shaky. That's kind of not great. That's maybe a bad win. Mm-hmm. However, having Brandon Lau snap back into Brandon Lau and hitting two home runs, that's good. So I would yes. say an average win for Tampa, an average loss for the Dodgers. Now, let's quickly talk about game one, which, again, great loss for Tampa. Look, if you're oh, going to yeah. lose a game, if you're going to lose a game, you want to throw your, your number two relievers out there to just soak up some innings. And they did that. Josh Fleming went out there, just sponged up you know, some of those outs for Tampa. So they didn't have to use their a bullpen and then they got to use them in game two. Yeah. And then it's, uh, that's exactly why they, they, and we've seen that in, in the previous rounds when Tampa loses, they still seem to be pretty well set up for the next day. And I know they use Yarbrough, which is a little bit weird, but right. Fleming, uh, taking the hit there. And then John Curtis for one batter at the end. But 
I mean, again, which is pretty impressive, especially since Glass now couldn't get out of the fifth. Uh, for them to get through that game was very impressive. Let's talk about the Dodgers in game one because Kershaw, your man, the guy who you you want to see finally get there this year, he did exactly what we wanted him to, which was he he looked fantastic. He looked great. He, Vintage he, Kershaw yeah. start, Jordan. Just was, perfect. Excellent. Yep. Shaky in the first. Oh, does he have his stuff? Second, third, fourth, fifth looked like the greatest pitcher we've ever seen. And he does it again. He does it with a depleted, you know, stuff. He's throwing 91, 92. He's spotting it up. He's using a slider. He's using the curveball, getting ahead of guys. He, I think, retired 12 guys in a row at one point, gives up his, you know, guaranteed solo home run. He's, you know, you can always count on one meatball that someone's going to hit out. Kevin Kiermeyer got him, but he was great. And then, you know, he finished the game with 78 pitches and could have kept going after six, but the Dodgers were ahead by so many at that point that it, you know, they, took him out to give him some rest. And yeah, it was just good Kershaw. People forget the good Kershaw starts in the postseason. And there's just been so many starts. Like he has pitched more in October than anyone else in the last couple generations. You know what I mean? And so yeah. we, we pick what we remember. And we shouldn't overlook it, but game ones also are just easier to overlook, right? The game ones, it's like, okay, like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's important. It's how you start a series, but like we're remembering the ones where he comes in and then their season ends. So of course, but like, yeah. dude, game one, like you gotta win counts the no. same. Like no, the game of course, in oh, April 100%. counts the same as the game in September. Absolutely. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And he, and he looked great. Obviously Mookie was spectacular and we're going to talk about him uh, in our fave five it, uh, in a little That bit. was the Mookie. We'll get to that, but it was the Mookie bets game to me. In a yeah, lot of ways. And I think yep. we'll expand on that a little bit more specifically later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's why they won. They they got to the relievers. The, you know, they got to Glasnow at the end. They probably, the Rays probably left Glasnow in for too long, which was super weird. Um, no Tampa pitcher had thrown over 110 pitches in a game all year. It only happened once all of it last year, and that was a full season. Um, this is not something that happens often with Tampa pitchers and class now did that. I think he finished at 112, mm-hmm. maybe uh, just a weird, just kind of weird. It was like Tampa getting out of what makes them good. Uh, fine with me. Let starters go from an entertainment right. perspective. Like, right. I loved it. That was, and like I mentioned earlier, how like when they were getting to Snell was the most compelling part of the game, not just because I was rooting for either side. It was just like, that's the drama, right? This is the, the starting mm-hmm. pitcher trying to hold on. And 100%, same thing in game one. When they were when they were getting to Glass now, even though when they were already up, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe Glass now is still in. But also like, I'm so glad Glass now is still in because I want to see if he can do this. And he got that strikeout of Turner because he's still amazing and still throwing 99. But like, of course he wasn't getting, I mean, the fact that he still faced Muncie and Smith, it was like, what's going on? But yeah, so point is, Actually, well, I guess we should we should assess good loss, bad loss, average loss. Again, I think this was definitely a good loss for Tampa, as proved to be in Game Two, and a great win for the Dodgers because you great got win. Betts Homer, you got good Kershaw. You didn't even have to use Jansen or Bruce Dar or anything, right? So, like, good win. Haven't haven't even really touched uh, their their main dudes yet. You got Bellinger is kind of going now, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that was that was definitely a good win. All right, let's uh let's turn the clock ahead here uh to game three, Jordan, which is tomorrow night, Friday night for Shabbat. Jordan, sit down, light your candles, bless your children, break out the challah, and turn on Walker Bueller against Charlie Morton. Um two very different <laughs> types of pitchers. Right. I would say <laughs> this is this is the one where it kind of flips, you know, with with Snell and Glass now. Unbelievable stuff. 
and not that Morton doesn't have that, but unbelievable stuff. But like, you know, that there's going to eventually be hard contact and some walks. And that's Walker Bueller, right? Walker Bueller is the same thing. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, but once you get in those middle innings, you start being like, okay, they're hitting it hard. Maybe there's a homer. Maybe there's a few walks there. Compared to Charlie Morton, who has been the raised most cons- – I mean, he's been outstanding. He was amazing in the Game 7. He was amazing uh, earlier in the postseason. He's been amazing all year. I mean, he was decent in the regular season, but he was he was injured. But last few years, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. And uh, I'm really excited for this matchup, not just because of the contrast between those two pitchers, but the way that we've seen them use Snell and Glass now. I have to think with regular off days too, and maybe he can come back for a game seven, they will let Morton go in this one. They're going to have to. There is no reason. The way that Anderson has looked, the way that Fairbanks has looked, they are going to stick with Morton as long as he his 36-year-old you know, butt can go. Because I... I and he's been great, and I hope they do. But that's what I'm most excited to watch is how, how far Chuck can, can take him. If they were willing to let Glass now go that long in a game one, they've got to be willing to let Morton go just as long in a game three, right? Because the, yeah, game three is an important game. Obviously, whoever wins it will be up in the series, but it's not the whole series teetering on an edge, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in a game two and you're down 1-0, you got to pull out all the stops to make sure you don't go down 2-0. So expect a lot of Charlie Morton in this one. I would expect five innings of Walker Bueller, 103 pitches and a blister and six walks and a lot of strikeouts and good stuff and tight pants. And tight pants, which you shouldn't ask him about. Or actually, you should, because if you didn't, it'd be an indictment. It depends on if he wins. (laughs) It depends on if he wins. Um, But but yeah, although, yeah, the thing about Bueller is like, he is so freaking good. And, And the way that his fastball works, too, is really unlike almost any other fastball that we have now, the way that it carries even more than the Tampa pitchers who are like known for this. It just, it, it, I mean, it's hard. It's 98, 99 and it looks like it's 106 and it's, it's very, very, very special. And especially from a guy who's not that tall and doesn't get incredible extension down the mound necessarily. Like, I mean, he gets out there, right. But like, right. Um, not it's like not like Tyler now. glass now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the other thing with Bueller is I know that, you know, in this day and age, the game revolves around, elevated fastballs, top of the zone and above the zone. Walker Bueller's fastball thrown at the knees is the most aesthetically pleasing pitch in the World Series. When he, or Kershaw's curveball, but like when he pinpoints it down, it looks like 150 miles an hour. Like when he hits that spot at the bottom of the zone and it's zippy and it pops, oh my God, it is it is a beautiful pitch. So he's he's very special. And and I'm curious, considering the Dodgers will have completely fresh Trinan, Brewstar, Jansen, like, I hope they let him go. But I would imagine that Roberts will have a much quicker trigger than Cash uh, in this game three. Um, and then game four, it sounds like it'll be Urias. And then I don't know, I guess Yarborough, who knows what Tampa's going to do in four. It's always weird with them. Uh, and then I guess back to uh, back to glass now in five. But um, I think this is gonna what be this is hammering home. Yeah, we we talked about this before, and this is a longer conversation. But I'm just going to bring it up quickly. Is like Major League Baseball teams. This is a PSA from someone who does not work for a team. Listen to me. Listen. Develop Listen to at least develop or pay at least three starting pitchers. Three, probably four. You know, honestly, five because. You need starting arms, okay? If you're going to do the Tampa thing, you need to do that for like a half of a decade to condition all of your pitchers 
to know how to do that. And if you want to do that, that's fine. Go ahead. But it takes time and it takes a lot of work. It doesn't take as much work is to take your checkbook out and go sign Charlie Martin. Right. Right. Now, right. Which the, even the Rays did. Right. Like the Rays, the Rays would not be here without Charlie Warren. They would have no chance if they didn't and have at least one dude who they could trust to go five innings. Relative credit to the Dodgers. I'm not really talking specifically about the Dodgers, right, to be no, fair. Well, the Dodgers did go out and trade for David Price, which was yeah. essentially like signing a free agent pitcher mm-hmm. just because of how the dynamics of that trade work. Right. And they did do that. And then he opted out of the season and they couldn't have predicted that. And I understand. But I'm just saying, if you watched last year's World Series and you saw what the Nats did, that's the path. At least for me as a fan, from an entertainment perspective, I know that you as a GM don't care about that. Right, 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 right. I agree. And that's what I want the path to be. That's fair. And I also agree. uh, It's, of course, with no off days this year, it's a little bit different too. Um, But the thing about the Nats also last year is that like, I mean, yeah, Corbin, but like Anibal also was huge for them. And that's a fourth guy, right? I mean, the, and these guys have, these teams have two, two and a half at best, right? Um, so no, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, also, they traded away Kent Maeda. So we don't have to talk about that. All right. Anyway, uh, I'm excited about this weekend. I'm glad we are guaranteed uh, a fifth game. Obviously, our next pod will be on Monday. I was going to say, it's weird to think about. There is a, a scenario where this is the last pod right here before the world series is over. I mean, I think this is going to go six, so I'm not too worried. I I, I hope that is not the case. Um, But either way, we are very much looking forward to that. This episode of baseball barbecue is brought to you by FanDuel. We've got to tell you about my new favorite bet concept this season. We've been playing same game parlays on FanDuel Sportsbook. They're pretty simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from one game into a single parlay. This way, the payouts are even bigger when you win. What's cool too is FanDuel will refund the first same game parlay you lose on any World Series game up to $10. Or if you're a football fan too, you can bet a different parlay risk-free every NFL week all season long. I'm taking a look at the World Series Game 3 lines right now, and I am looking at Charlie Morton, who I believe is amazing and is going to help the Rays win this Game 3 against the Dodgers. And I am seeing plus 1.5 for Tampa at uh, minus 124, and I'm going to combine that with the run line of either team win by one run or less at plus 200. I just think this is going to be a close game, and I think the Rays are going to win it. They're going to be bringing in dudes you've never heard of, and they are going to prevail and win this game. So there you go. Plus one and a half for Tampa, plus 200. Either team win by one run or less. Book it. It's an absolute lock. There's 0% chance that I'll be wrong on this. Like my picks, go ahead and bet them. I told you they're going to be correct. And with your first NFL or World Series same game parlay of the week, you'll get 10 bucks back if you don't win. Now, there is one catch. FanDuel is the only sportsbook app that has these same game parlays. So if you don't already have a FanDuel account, just use promo code BBQ when you sign up so they know we sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code BBQ. 21 and up present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, or Iowa. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund $10. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Colorado. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Iowa. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. All right, Jake. I know we've already done some some general overview, but we wanted to zoom in 
to our five favorite moments of the World Series thus far, five favorite things in general uh, to kind of really celebrate what this World Series has been between the Rays and Dodgers. So let's do it. Let's do a fave five and let us begin at number five. Make it a five pack, folks! A gentleman named Josh Fleming. Josh Fleming. Why would anyone care about Josh Fleming? I'm looking at his line here in game one. He threw two and two-thirds innings, five hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, two strikeouts, and a home run to the legend known as Marcus Lindbetts. Now, Jordan hey, Schuster, tell, tell is, me about Josh Fleming. The, uh, this is a podcast, so people cannot see the poster I'm holding up on camera. But uh, Josh Fleming is a Division Three baseball pitcher, uh, and so was I. Uh, and for a player to make it to the major leagues out of division three baseball in and of itself is incredibly rare. There are around back when there was a, you know, a 40 round draft, uh, around eight to 12 D three players would get drafted in an average year. And at any given time, there's probably two or three guys in the big leagues who were from these types of small schools. Think Jordan Zimmerman, uh, Kristen Norfia, Bruce Tim Maxwell, Tim LaCastro, Tim LaCastro Eric Kratz, just a couple names to throw around. Anthony Recker as well. Um, but Josh Fleming is the latest and maybe the greatest. And I actually played against his team uh, in college multiple times. I saw his final college start in a regional. I saw him struck, he like struck out like a thousand guys and his team got no hit, so he lost. And like it is just these people who play in the World Series are aliens really compared to us mortals, right? Like Cody Bellinger is almost a different species of physical human than you or I, right? And there's, whenever there is someone in the World Series or in the big leagues even, who you have even, you know, the, the slightest physical connection to as a human, whether it's on a baseball field or, you know, they're from your town, that's super cool. And for Josh Fleming to be in the World Series coming from a college that has an enrollment of like, I would, I mean, I'm not looking this up in front of me, but like, I would guess 2000 people, maybe I'll get you, you know, answer, but keep going. Yeah. That's notable. And that's cool. And even the guys who come into the world series and aren't very good for a lot of them, this is the greatest moment of their lives. And to me, Josh Fleming kind of encapsulates that. Um, so kudos to those who get crushed by Mookie Betts. Yeah. And like, again, you know, those are important innings. Even if they lose, it is very important for someone to throw those innings and keep them in the game. He didn't give up 50 runs, you know, like it wasn't like he gave up, he put them totally out of reach. Um, They were still in the game and that's, that's what you're looking for. And that's the reason he's on the roster. I got the stats, 9,000 students for Webster. 9,966 last year. Although I will say the second question that comes up if you Google Webster University is, is Webster University legit? (laughs) You got a ruling on that? Well, here's your answer. What's the legit rating of Webster University? Well, Josh Fleming just pitched in the World Series, so it has definitely upped the legitness legit, trending up. Yeah. Google Trends. That's how that works. Yes, exactly. I would say their baseball team is definitely legit. Um, I couldn't tell you about academics. Like, I yes. don't. I'm not up to the no. But yeah, it's cool to see a Gorlock, Webster University Gorlocks, their their mascot, the Gorlocks, because their school is located on the corner of Gore and Lockwood in St. Louis. Um, so that's why they're the Gorlocks, which is pretty crazy. But right, yeah. enough D3 baseball. I know. I so enough. credit to Josh Fleming. Uh, I It is an honor to see him allow a home run to Mookie Betts. Let's move on to number four and talk about one of those alien freaks that we just mentioned. Cody Bellinger, 
course, uh, one of the heroes of Game 7 uh, in the CS and his celebration uh, resulting in a dislocated shoulder, which he seems to just be fine playing through, I guess. <laughs> but he hits another home run uh, here in Game 1. And after he hits that homer off of Mr. Glass now in the fourth inning, he comes home and it's like, oh, is Cody Bellinger dumb enough to do the same celebration? No, he's very self-aware. He knows that he probably should not be doing the extremely aggressive uh, elbow. Uh, I don't even know how, how you would call that. What, what, how are we defining I would call that an arm bang. Yes. Uh, and he decided, you know what? Actually, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do a, a delicate foot tap, which we saw earlier this season as when we thought that high fives were extremely dangerous in COVID times, which seems like probably not the most dangerous activity going on right yes. now. Um, so it was just good to see some, some self-awareness from Mr. Bellinger. Uh, and, I, uh, I some adjustment. kind of uh, review the tape here mm-hmm. for a second because um, mm, I am slightly skeptical that the foot tap was wholly Bellinger's idea. Mm, okay. Interesting. Because <laughs> if, I would assume that Bellinger, okay, I'm watching the tape now. He gets back to the dugout and he's greeting Max Muncy. He sees Max. It is Bellinger's idea. Okay, I'm watching it back. Before he crosses home, Bellinger points to his foot. He points to his foot as Muncy, who's on deck, is waiting for him. And they laugh and they, they tap foots. Yes. And then he keeps walking. He taps Taylor's foot, taps Jock's foot, taps Mookie's foot. So, yeah, this is all Bellinger. This is cute. This is smart. This is growing up, Jordan. You know, you exactly. make dumb mistakes when you're 25, 25, like Cody yep. Bellinger is. And is sometimes you dislocate your arm celebrating a home run in the game seven of the NLCS. It happens to all of us 25-year-olds. It does. It does. It's uh, such a, so relatable, uh, as they say. I'm glad that you, that the replay uh, confirmed the call uh, that it was indeed Bellinger's idea. And I agree. That is the kind of adjustment that you want to see from him, not just on the field, but slightly off the field after he hits yet another home run uh, in the 2020 postseason. Great part, lastly, about this moment. Clayton Kershaw famous for being incredibly intense mm-hmm. when he's starting. If you watch this back, Kershaw is in the background when Bellinger walks in the dugout. And like Bellinger's foot tapping like the whole team and everyone's cracking up in the dugout. And Kershaw's right there. He, not even an uh, inkling of a smile, like not even a grin, not even like you staring. He like, he like taps Bellinger, but he's staring through it. It's like, this right. is not fun time. Well, especially at that point, it's, it's only two nothing. You know, he just got his lead. He's it's he is not having fun yet. Later in the game, I think Hershaw did maybe crack a smile, but that is a, yeah. that is a fair point. This level of focus is what separates him and uh, Matthew Stafford, his classmate. <laughs> oh, okay, this is why I, Kershaw. I, I haven't has heard that I generational heard that. greatness. He he went the high, what with Stafford? You go to high school together with Matthew Stafford in Texas near. At Highland stadium? Park High School? Highland Park High School. Matthew Stafford, Clayton Kershaw. Wow, Matthew's... Oh, wow. Write that down. Write that down. Can't All right, I will. That. I will. We got to make sure we mention that the next time we talk about him. That's crazy. Uh, okay, Bellinger, congratulations to him on growing up. Uh, very proud. Let's move on to number three, which is a, more of a, a broad uh, broad stroke uh, theme of the first two games. And honestly, this stretches back beyond uh, just these World Series. Let's talk about some base running, Jake Mintz. Because base running. Some people say that base running... Is is dead. I know Tim Kirchin has said that it is the worst base running he's seen in his whenever five hundred years covering baseball. 
Uh, and honestly, I can't totally disagree. At the same time, we have seen some fun base running and some bad rate base running and some good base running so far in these first two games. Again, as a neutral, don't really care how bad your base running is. I just want you to run them. Like, right. I would prefer right. bad, aggressive base running mm-hmm. to good, you know, intelligent so like, base running. Oh, wow. I'm so glad that he didn't try to go first to third there. Like, no, that no sucks. one cheers for that. Now, there have been a lot of bang bang plays at home. We have seen uh, a lot of them have been, I think, think all of them have been out in the last week or so. Uh, I think Manny Margot went home and was thrown out at home. Uh, and Mookie, of course, was the only one who was, you know, both intelligent and smart enough to get a jump and impressive enough as an athlete to get in under the tag. But like, ba- aggressive base running makes entertaining baseball. It doesn't always make smart baseball, but it always makes it fun to watch. Bang bang plays are like the one of the best things about baseball. I remember like, you know, as a kid at recess, we would like do bang bang play. Like we would like do sack fly tag up plays for fun. Like that was no one like worked on like, you know, breaking down, rounding the base at first for fun. It was all about the ball getting to a spot and the runner getting to a spot and seeing what the hell happened at home. Um, and we've gotten a lot of that, whether, and you know, whether or not it's smart, I don't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, not too many of them have had to be reviewed. I know we had a stolen base that was overturned, uh, in game two, which was, um, I mean, again, the, the play itself is still interesting. Then it's just like, oh, are we going to have to wait three minutes to see the call confirmed that can kind of, you know, take the air out of the, the base running balloon. But I agree with you. And the more crazed base running and aggressive base running, the better, because it is just great television and it's good contrast too because right like you have guys like mookie and then it's like when the huge guy tries like when max muncie tries to score from second when he shouldn't that's still entertaining like and and when there was like a g-man tag up play in the alcs that was great like everyone should run everyone should be forced to run make everyone run go run some suicide sprints go run some wind sprints do it just keep running run run run, just keep running uh all right let's speaking of that i want a marathon with bats (laughs) <laughs> let's uh let's move to number two which is the the great mookie bets who did some running got everyone tacos as we mentioned at the top for the second time i believe right because he, he he did it uh, in 18 I, I think uh so he's a veteran in this field um but mookie's base running is just a tiny fraction of everything that he does on the field and as you mentioned game one really was the mookie bets game i mean in other sports you, the biggest stars get so much more percentage of the camera time than they do in baseball. And that's just a product of the way that the sport works, right? Like in soccer, you know, like Lila Messi or Ronaldo or, you know, whoever the hell, you know, Salah or Sterling, whatever, they're on camera so much more often than like Mookie Betts is. LeBron is on camera more because he's just on the court more. Whereas Mookie Betts is just like in the dugout, like kind of just hanging out for a lot of the time. Game one, he had so much camera time doing a variety of different stuff, right? He had a home run, made a couple good, you know, defensive plays in the outfield and was just delightful to watch on the bases. And, you know, as a neutral fan, that's what I want. I want to see the best player in baseball be on my television as much as possible. And he delivered in game two. He also delivered uh, some, some good memes. With him poking his head mm. out uh, on the dugout between uh, a couple teammates. There. I mean, Mookie's doing it all. He's finding ways to 
succeed in, I mean, again, the defense was very much on display in the CS, um, but even in the World Series, again, he's he can do everything that you want. And for a Dodgers team that already was the best team, to add that is is ridiculous. You know what we're not going to do is we're not going to spend our time debating Mookie versus Mike Trout. We are going to spend the next week and all the time on this podcast enjoying the Mookie bets because it is just a waste of time picking these two apart. We don't have to compare everything. Correct. 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 Um, But yeah, he's he's amazing and he's clearly making a difference. And it is great to see him also kind of uh, up his offensive game now um, because that hasn't, you know, wasn't doing that much uh, offensively uh, coming into this game. All right. Let's move to number one, to the guy who has been carrying the offensive load for the Dodgers of Los Angeles. And let us talk about Mr. Corey Seager. Do we think he's better than Michael Waka? Do we think at this point, is he better than Michael Waka? Uh, who, you know, they said when Michael this just Walker turned into was... MetsCon? Did we just do a quick MetsCon? I wasn't ready <laughs> no, for this. MetsCon. Mike off, Bobby. Go away, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> MetsCon. Is Michael is Michael Walker even a Met anymore? Wasn't it a one-year contract? I, once I a Met, that. always a Met. You know, he's, oh, once a Met, always a Met. That's a good he's point. He's an that's important part of my life now. No, that's true. He, you, can never, you can never escape him. Uh, Corey Seager, of course, when Michael Walker was looking really good in the postseason, the card was like, oh... Why would you take a high school shortstop when you can have this extremely experienced college starter? Like, well, this is why, because he can be one of the 10 best players in the league. And I mean, he is just, he is on one to a point. But here's the thing. <laughs> Every time he's healthy, this is pretty much what he is. He's just not healthy very often. So like, it's not like we've seen Corey Seager be bad. It's just that we've seen Corey Seager not be playing. And that is frustrating for a guy that young. But like he's pretty much this is it. This is the dude. He's always really freaking good at hitting baseballs. So I'm not that sure. His homers are also super great. Um, to me, him and Yelich have similar types of homers where like their lower half gets like under the baseball and gets super low down and almost like springs up with the ball to get leverage on it. And what that leads to is just home runs to parts of the park that are hit in very weird and unique ways because of how much carry they have. Like the home run to center in game two, like if you listen to the Dodgers radio broadcast, it's like, and Seager to center and it's gone. Like it, it, when he hits it, you don't always know. Which by the way, in globe death field is very, very, very hard to do to hit it out to center. And let's get to that. How do you feel about calling it the, the death globe? Do you think like, in Star Wars, when they named it the Death Star, like Death Globe was like on the list of name ideas. Right. Well, they uh, they lucked out because now we get to call it uh, Globe Death uh, Field. And here's the thing. As some people pointed out last night, well, wow, this is the 15th game the Dodgers have played this year at Globe Life Field, which is hilarious. And also like, wow, Corey Seager has just been absolutely on fire uh, here. Well, it was pointed out as a lot of people could figure out very quickly. Huh, I wonder if Corey Seager has more homers than any of the Rangers. And in fact, he does as Corey Seager, <laughs> as we sit here on Thursday has more homers than any of the Rangers at globe life field in its short history. He is now at seven home runs in this spanking new ballpark, uh, passing, uh, Rugnet Odor at six, Joey Gallo at five, uh, Ronald Guzman at three. Bellinger, by the way, um, is at five. He could also uh, get up there with Seeger ahead of all the other Rangers. And I have to point out, as I wear my Mariners hat, that this is not surprising to me because Kyle Seeger, 
his older brother, I don't know if you know, he has a, an older brother who's also really good at baseball, who always mm. signed a hundred million dollar contract. And like, it's a great example of baseball families where it's like Kyle Seeger, unbelievably successful major leaguer. And Corey Seeger is so much better. <laughs> like, so, much better. so, so, so much better. But Kyle Seeger, for those who don't know, has tormented the Rangers particularly in Texas, for the entirety of his career. So it is no surprise, even though the Rangers are not involved anymore, that a Seager is down there doing damage. And by the way, it is not just Seager uh, leading in Globe Life Park. After Game 2, the Rangers and Dodgers are now tied in home runs at Globe Life Park, uh, as wow. the Dodgers are now at 30 in 15 games, and the Rangers hit 27 in their 30 home games uh, during the shortened 2020 season. Amazing. So, uh, listen, you thought we were done dunking on the Texas Rangers just because we haven't seen them in weeks? Uh, don't worry. That is very much not the case. So, Corey Seager, cheers to you. You are an unbelievable baseball player, and um, I look forward to continue to watching you uh, dominate. Jordan, on our uh, Instagram live show the other day, we talked about the World Series MVP odds and how, like, we compared kind of Randy Rosarena and Corey Seager and how hard it is and how rare it is for a hitter to stay hot enough to win the CS and the World Series MVP. And then it's really only happened a couple of times. I think David Freeze, Willie Stargell, it's very, very, very rare to stay that hot. And whereas Randy has certainly cooled off in the first two games, Corey Seager was just like, mm, sorry, I'm going to keep going. Which is not that shocking because, again, we still don't really know what Randy is and all of this small sample size. But, like, we have a five-year track record of Corey Seager being one of the best hitters in the world. So it is much more believable that he can continue this uh, into the World Series as he has done. All right, folks, that is our fave five uh, from the World Series thus far. Uh, quick note before we get out of here uh, on something else we, we touched on on a recent episode, which is the White Sox managerial search. And um, Jake uh, here, uh, here on this pod mentioned that if the White Sox hire Mr. Tony LaRusso, that he will walk from his apartment in New York to Chicago. I still don't totally understand like what you would be like. Is this in protest? Like when you get to Chicago, are you going to go to guaranteed rate and be like, no, Larusa, no, Larusa? Like what? What is the end goal? Or is it just like you saying like I'm going to do this crazy thing because this is not going to happen? Yes, the latter. Like I am. I I would be incredulous if they hired him for sure. But this proposition is born more from just a lack of belief that this is going to happen like there's no way it's gonna happen bobby you have, you have, you have thoughts here is it a thousand miles is this how you're getting I think a I think it's about 800 miles. Oh, not even a thousand miles. So you would walk uh, 800 miles if if uh, we are going to have to edit those lyrics. Yeah, we're going to have to get a ring of records on this one. A uh, little Vanessa Carlton remix action. Uh, no, my thoughts on this one are that you're doing this if this happens. Same thoughts that I had last time. And I'm going to be soundtracking. I, I'm going to be scoring this part of the episode with various Jake is walking songs. So. second listen maybe you guys will enjoy that walking do, through memphis yeah <laughs> or or walk 500 miles and i would walk, walk 500, 500 more. Well, i would walk yeah. 300 more <laughs> 300 more just to see the white Sox uh boots hire literally anybody Jake. else you better pick some good shoes my friend these boots are made for walking and that's just what they'll do 
Okay, so uh, when I made this comment, this proposition, I was 0% worried that they would hire Tony LaRusso. At this point, we saw another report bubble out yesterday. I am 5% worried. Okay, still pretty low. Um, you're not actually looking for which shoes you're going to walk in yet, but you are, you are, you know, checking in on this a little bit more often than you would have when you first, uh, declared. Yeah. This. I mean, I looked at the mileage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you should set up some Google alerts for Tony LaRusso's name just so that you're like ahead of it, you know? Yeah. It would be so. Ridiculous. And to be clear, they have to hire him as manager. They can't hire him as like front office. No, he's not going to leave. No, there's no reason to do that. He's not going to uh, leave his his cushy job. If they hire place. him as bench coach, do you have to drive? You know, is there like a compromise? No. Bench coach would be honestly even more stunning. That would be even more unbelievable. If that walk, was the Jake case. has to walk backwards to Chicago if they hire him as bench coach. Dude, imagine the notion. Imagine the meeting where they're like, Tony, would you be willing to be the bench coach? <laughs> Tony LaRusso is like, you think I'm going to go? Like, I'm in the Hall crazy? of Fame, right? Like I'm already in. Is he already in the, in the Hall of Fame? I feel like yeah, probably. Yeah. By the way, so 2012 draft, Mets taking Gavin Cicchini. That one hurts. That one hurts. Oh yeah. Hey, better. That's than what DJ I've been Davis. spending the last ten minutes doing. Better than DJ Davis. Look, there are a lot of bad picks uh, ahead of 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 Corey Seager. So uh, that is that was not the worst one. I promise you. He at least made the big leagues. All right, but Courtney Hawkins. That was a great back backflip during the draft. Okay, that was cool. We we are done. That is it. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for his multiple contributions during this episode as well as his editing prowess. Jake Mintz, thank you for doing this podcast with me. Uh, thank you to the Rays and Dodgers for guaranteeing that it will not end on Saturday uh, and we will be uh, recording our next podcast, uh, hopefully with the series still intact, but at least uh, one that will go at least five games. And I'm very thankful for that. So thank you to the two. Thank you to Webster teams. University. Yep, absolutely. Shouts out to all 9,966 enrolled students. Uh, yes, and the entire uh, SLEAC. Uh, congratulations to you. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the baseball. We will talk to you next week. Blackburn, where's your major leaguer? Then I'm walking in Memphis Just walking with my feet ten feet off a of beam Walking in Memphis. But do Thanks for listening, Ringer MLB Show listeners. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Baseball Barbecue, here on the Ringer Podcast Network. We record Mondays. We record Thursdays. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Hope to hear you hear us soon.